0: Hey, it's Zach, and I wanted to tell you about our newest podcast, Swagoo and Perk. Oh, boy. Led by its namesake host, former NFL veteran and analyst Marcus Spears. He's Swagoo, obviously. An NBA champion and analyst Kendrick Perkins, who yells at me all the time. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Swagoo and Perk will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news, as well as look inside their lives with can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. I'm going to tell you, editorially, you will not stop laughing throughout the whole episode. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast live on the first day of November. Halloween is in the books. The NBA season is almost two weeks old. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting stuff happening around the league. And the best guy to talk about it with, the one and only Jeff Van Gundy. How are you?
1: Doing fine. How's everything?
0: I'm good. I'm good. So your kids are adult age now, for the most part. They've aged out of Halloween. I want to know... When they were younger and you were home, what kind of Halloween dad are you? Are you dressing up? Are you, are you like Larry David? Like you're, you're holding kids to high standards for their costumes before you give out candy? What's peak dad Jeff Van Gundy Halloween?
1: I didn't enjoy Halloween as a kid dressing up. So I certainly don't do it as a dad. Never have. Never would. And But I love answering the door. I do love answering the door. Um, and giving out, uh, the goodies and yeah, just remember back from my day when people used to cut up apples and stick razor blades in it, you know, that, that has a a traumatic effect on how you view what you give out. Like, you know, you, you can't be the cheap like house where no one wants to come. You got to have a reputation
0: that they give out good stuff there. There are houses now that will preemptively brag when they see your kids. We're going to be giving out the full-on big chocolate bars, not the mini candy bars, the big candy bars, and the kids internalize this information and run to those houses first. But I, I need, I need to go back. Did not dress up. As, did not enjoy dressing up as a kid. Did not like what there no. was. Just were you was like eight year old. You like I got to be home watching film of of no, this game no, already. Like what's going on?
1: No, it wasn't. It just. It's just, it, it never resonated. It, it, I didn't want to be, you know, a gold miner when I was growing up in California. I didn't want paint on my face. I think it was like tactile, like probably issues that I didn't want. You know, I, I don't know. I just, Halloween, I, I, like I said, like now I love watching the kids come up, particularly the young kids. I do have higher standards or I have a high school ager, like, don't just come up like and expect free candy without like dressing up if you're that
0: age, right? Like, you
1: can't scam the system, you have to actually put some effort in to reap the benefits.
0: Absolutely. I will tell even small children, like, what, what, what is that? That's just nothing. Like, I'm a, I don't know, you got to put I'm a teacher. I'm a, a, te- I'm a, I'm a, a teacher. I'm a teacher and you're just wearing normal clothes. Like, you have, if you're a teacher, you got to have like a chalk, some chalk. You got to have something that indicates just, I'm just not a random adult.
1: See, my problem this year has nothing to do with that. I had a friend who, their neighborhood organized Halloween on the Saturday, even though it fell on Sunday. Uh. I'm like, no, that's. I'm not participating in that. If I live in that neighborhood, <laughs> you can come on Saturday all you want. You can organize. That's like what? If Christmas doesn't fall on the right uh, day for you, you're going to change it to Christmas Eve? To like, point. I don't know if this was the only neighborhood like, that did it, but I, like, I'm like, that's a joke. But last night, the traffic was so light. Like, there was no one out.
0: I, I got to get next year. I got to get someone who's in the spirit of Halloween for this episode. Last year, Windhorse came on and revealed as an adult person, he is the lights off, blinds down, do not even approach my house Halloween adult, which is like borderline hostile. And he has a small child now. So I got news for him. He better start getting into Halloween because it's coming.
1: Yeah, that's he needs to see somebody about that. Like, seriously, <laughs> so that's, that, that's a character flaw. a a, a very that reveals a lot about him. I'm not saying what it reveals because I don't know, but it reveals. Now, listen, I got to say the lights went off last night when business was slow in the third inning of the Astros game. So if he had some other thing that he was, you know, trying to get to and didn't want to be disturbed, that's one thing. Um, But just to do it like because. Again, you're a curmudgeon. Nah, I don't know.
0: You know what I wanted to get to last night, and thankfully it didn't start till 1030, was the Lakers' Rockets game. And the reason I wanted to get to it be- was because the Lakers were going to start Anthony Davis at center for the first time this season. DeAndre Jordan came off the bench. There was no Dwight Howard. I am, you know, look, the Lakers get more coverage than any team anyway, even before LeBron James, the, maybe the greatest player in the world, came there. I am, the the Westbrook thing and all the centers they have has made this an endlessly fascinating team for me. Just on a coaching X's and O's, how are they going to adjust day to day? How does Russ fit? What is Russ doing when LeBron has the ball? Is the most fascinating question in the league to me. So I don't know if you saw that game last night, but they went no, it, no. They started AD at center. I don't think they had one second all game where Westbrook, LeBron, and AD were on the floor with a center. They staggered Russ and LeBron as, about as dramatically as you will see. Carmelo Anthony went bananas again from three. Just They're now four and three. They had get-well wins over two, well, Cleveland is, I guess, mediocre. A mediocre team and a bad team over the weekend. I don't know if you saw that game, but what are your thoughts on the Lake? I mean, we're approaching a point where, yes, the sample sizes are small, but seven to ten games, we, we start to know some things about teams. What do you think you know about the Lakers?
1: I, I watched a little bit. I watched in between the, uh, in between innings of the Astros. I would, you know, flip to it. Um, and then I watched after the game was over. But I, I don't think it's whether Anthony Davis starts at center. I, I just wonder, are the Lakers any good, you know, like, or how good they are? Um, you know, they have a couple. They have the, the Rockets again, I believe. I mean, they have a very favorable schedule. Um, to start the year. But the real question to me is, are they good? Um, Because it's not about collecting talent or names. It's about do things fit together? Um, I mean, they're, they are an old, old looking team when they play and, you know, speed and quickness is going to, to me, is going to give them issues And even against the Rockets, who are not a good defensive team last night, they scored 95. Even with Carmelo making, what, I think he made five last night, threes? Um, I I don't know. I I just don't know if they fit well together. I I know, even from the start, I thought that it was a definite win for Washington in in the trade that they made, um, getting to redistribute their money uh, to multiple players. It remains to be seen whether it was a win for the Lakers. I I am fascinated by just the collection of names and what does that actually translate to, and how good they they really are. Um, yeah, I I, I just think it's very interesting.
0: You know, look, they did they did beat they actually kind of came out. I thought they were they were they came out kind of kind of angry last night. Like they 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 came out like they wanted to to win last night. LeBron was playing hard on defense. He looked great. As One of the interesting things about that starting five, they started Bazemore and Avery Bradley alongside the big three last night, is that LeBron, he's just the straight four in that lineup. They don't have the sort of hybrid Shane Battier type in that lineup who can guard the fours for him. He has to do it, and he looked amazing dropping back like a big man in pick-and-roll coverage against Christian Wood. Not that we haven't seen that before. It's just a reminder of how versatile he is. So they are now... Ninth in offense, which I think is better than people would think given that they sometimes do look a little slow and the spacing is bad and all that. And 18th in defense, which is not going to be good enough. But again, only seven games in. Um, Defensively, is it the speed that concerns you? I will say it's really interesting to me. They're 29th in opponent free throw rate. And I can't say I've watched their games and thought, boy, they're hacking the bejesus out of everyone other than Kent Bazemore in crunch time situations. Um, and they're 29th in defensive rebounding. I just don't understand how this team can be 29th in defensive rebounding or if that will last. But like, Those are two really troubling fundamentals. Offense, defense, Like, what stands out to you as, as something that you just watch e- either end of the floor? Like, They've got to fix this in order to get where they want to go.
1: Well, like you said, like I, I think – because of uh, their competitiveness and their intelligence and their, and Frank Vogel's expertise, I think they will be reasonable defensively, even though they have a lot of guys who aren't really that good defensively. I I think it's going to be interesting also to watch when Horton Tucker comes back, right? Like how do they like, like who comes out and who goes in and who takes the minutes, and will that like infusion of youth help them with some things, you know, um at either end of the floor? you know and I, I just and I also think with their team, with older teams like that, you know you'll see over time if they can hold up with the minutes that they're playing, you know, like Avery Bradley played, I think thirty last night, like, is that doable? is he is you know, can you win like that? I, I don't know. I mean, I just—I'm
0: still kind of surprised he didn't get the Warriors' fifteenth roster spot. To be honest with you, I thought if that, they took someone, that's who they would take.
1: Yeah, I'm just—I'm just interested. I'm just, and I think, like you said, you start to get to know things. Like, but with this older team, I think you're going to have to figure out. You know, can they even stay healthy? Like, is that—is that possible? That you know, they're available enough you know uh, Anthony Davis is like so critical and yet you know he misses a ton of games that's just what happens and you know James has already missed what two of the five uh, two of the seven so yeah I'm just I'm, I'm fascinated you know and when you think about it the west because of injury and many other things you know there's no team other than Utah that's really stood out you know like that you can say man they're they're playing good basketball
0: and utah's had an easy schedule for the most part they lost in chicago on i don't know if it was friday or saturday over the weekend they lost a tough game one of their only tough games of the season in chicago and then they beat the bucks but the bucks were are sitting everyone you know only Giannis of their main guys really played last night it's a still a nice win a wins a win they play utah utah's a known commodity i know what utah is they have some they have some new interesting wild cards eric pascal's playing well for them off the bench. Whiteside actually looks pretty good for them in the role they have him in. Uh, but I know what they are, and it's, they're kind of in wake-me-up in the playoffs mode um, for me. To your point about the Lakers, it's like even when you look at the lineup data, they have so many permutations of their team that they're already just sort of experimenting with. Like I talked about the lineup changes last night. So you have the big three. You want to know what the big three are? Just all the all the Westbrook James Davis minutes for the season. 94 minutes. The Lakers scoring margin in those minutes plus zero, exactly even over 94 minutes. You have those three without a center. Those lineups have been really good, but in like 35 minutes, or like plus a lot. That means those three with a center, really bad. You have LeBron and Russ, no Davis. LeBron and Davis, no Russ. Those combinations without centers and with. The solo combinations, we're just all just learning about this team. and And I think it's notable to me that just seven games in, the Lakers are already like, we got to try less, less center minutes, more staggering. Like it's notable to me that they're already sort of trying that stuff. Cause I do think if you watch that Cleveland game on Friday, and I was very excited to watch that game, the Lakers pulled away when they were just like, all right, we're going to put LeBron and AD in spread, pick and roll with no centers on the floor. We're just going to run that over and over again. And we're going to get open threes and dunks every single time. And that's what happened. It's like, Sometimes you watch them. It's, it's it's so easy. Just play AD at the five and do that. And I also thought it was notable in that game against the Cavs, who had kind of a fallback to earth weekend. A lot of that fourth quarter rally was with Russ on the bench. So they had like a ton of shooting around LeBron and AD. And it was just so easy for them. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm I really enjoy watching this team. By the way, they're second in pace. They are flying, not just with Russ, with Russ on the floor. They're playing like, a different they're playing like indie 500 level pace but overall they are flying and their transition game is just there's just nothing you can do with them when they're in the open floor
1: you know what's interesting about pace does pace actually translate to wins you know like like and how really important is it um when it comes to Winning basketball. And I left out a team that I think is playing the best in the league when I said Utah is Golden State. Like, you know, they're, they're playing great basketball. So um, Beautiful to I, watch too. Yeah. I'm just interested in the whole pace thing because, like, I think we sometimes we talk about pace so much that we automatically equate the faster the better. But I think every team's got to find the right pace for themselves. And I think when you have Westbrook on your team, if he's not playing at a, a good pace, it's hard for him to play, you know, to his best, which will make it hard for them to play at their best. So I, I just think, you know, everybody's got to find their own pace. Uh, not fast pace is not necessarily the only pace you can play to win. Uh, but I think for the Lakers with Westbrook, yeah, there's going to be, you know, like last night he made two threes, which, you know, that's going to be, you know, but all these players and they scored 95 against, a, you know, a Rockets team that's like, you know, really young.
0: And that's a very I like everyone uses really young when the Rockets play like every every Rockets game. Now, the road announcers, if you get the road broadcast like that, well, interesting fact. The Rockets played four teenagers in one game first time ever four teenagers they're really young. It's just a nice synonym for like really hoping to get the number one pick in the draft
1: <laughs> yeah, and hoping that the guys they drafted are good like yeah. I, you know and and you know what there's nothing there's no like there's nothing wrong with saying that they're 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 not a good team like that's just they're just they're not good because of of many factors but Last night, I actually thought, you know, they they obviously got a huge, you know, deficit. But I I thought they showed some good, you know, they they had some good moments, you know, which is what super young teams have. They don't have great games always or great quarters, but they have some good moments. And I thought the Rockets had some good moments.
0: Look, Russ is averaging 18-9-9, five turnovers a game, 25% shooting from three on four attempts a game. He's missed half his free throws it's just not it's not good enough yet uh it's easier for him when he plays in space and without LeBron because it's, it's just clear we're gonna zoom up and down and, and play Russ ball which he's very good at um the, he made the two corner threes last night guys are gonna guys are just gonna leave him up. there was a pick and roll in the third quarter like nine minutes left LeBron and ad ran up just a beautiful was either LeBron and yeah, it must have been LeBron and ad ran a beautiful pick and roll and Russ's guy was just parked at the nail stopped the whole play kicked to Russ Record scratch, he did nothing, possession died out. And like that's those are the kind of possessions that worry me in terms of the what is he doing. He had one game where he set seven ball screens mostly for LeBron. He set two combined in all the other games of the season. So I don't know what why that one game he decided to set all those screens, but he did. I just think it's it's just endlessly it's just endlessly interesting. Um and but, Dwight
1: Howard last night was out due to injury, so it'll be interesting for me. If Howard comes back, do they continue to start Davis at center, or do they go right back to what they were doing? And if if so, um, if they continue to start Davis at center, then is it Howard or Jordan um, as the backup?
0: And I bet they go back to starting DJ, and but continue to shift as they feel it a little bit more and more toward that kind of team with AD at center, but, but maybe not. I, I, I don't know, but I just know that the Russ LeBron AD center combination, if they don't have an offensive rebounding rate of like 35% and aren't incredible defensively, I just don't know if that's going to work.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, again, I think as a coach, sometimes what you have to do is let it play out and actually, Show to management what their feelings may be, may not actually work, right? So, uh, I, I'm just I just find like I think everybody used to use 20 games as the demarcation line, you know. Um, maybe some people do it earlier at 15, but I just think you you have to let things play out, and you have to you know, does Westbrook continue at a high rate of turnovers? Um, you know is it possible like I know he doesn't like setting screens on the ball because he wants to receive it right and and be the attacker and it is a totally different like Bruce Brown type of role where you're trying to catch it and and you're not being able to see the defense as you catch it as a role man but you know I know he may not like it but maybe that is what's best um, and maybe it is offensively as simple as LeBron James, Russ push. If you can get create something great, not. get it to LeBron. And then either Westbrooks man or or Davis's man sets a screen on the ball, and you play out of that, like literally that simple. But I think things like that play out over time. and you, you know, I think Frank is really smart. He's also very patient. And I also don't think their roster is even close, not even close to being uh what we'll see it by the end of the year
0: well they gave frank vogel that mini extension that baby extension which was reported for one year i just hope to your point that you know this is la like if they're 500 two weeks there's going to be panic there I, I just hope they give him time because i do think this roster is that he deserves more than time but i'm just saying you know how this is we've seen panic 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 he deserves the benefit of the doubt he deserves a long time He just won a championship two years ago. Um, I'm like, I'm like, there, there there's
1: reasonableness. Then there's coaching. And then there would be coaching, putting Frank Vogel under scrutiny in LA. Like
0: it would be crazy.
1: Last year they lost in the first round. And again, injury is, you know, it's always the worry for every team, but they're a little bit of a fragile team, right? I mean, you know, they have a little bit of, you know, they're fragile a little bit injury-wise. So, you know, especially older teams. I mean, I I don't know about what you expected or what it, but like with their roster that they trotted out on opening night, I thought they were good. I didn't think they were like a championship level team. by I mean, not even well, close.
0: And to your point, you mentioned, you know, I mentioned how they don't have this hybrid four that LeBron likes to have on his team. So he's not always just the straight four in those small ball lineups. Well, t- t- you mentioned and Horton Tucker earlier. I'm not saying he's going to be that player, but he, he's he's an... Itch- I was very excited to see how he fit as a potential two-way player, if he can shoot it well enough, in those AD at five lineups. Areza is very much that kind of player. That's exactly the role he played last year for the Heat. He's injured. Kendrick Nunn hasn't played. That. Like Those are three guys that I think everyone assumed... If they have a 10-man rotation, those three guys are going to be in it. We haven't seen those guys. And all three of them bring something to the table that the team currently really doesn't have. Uh, so I, I am interested in that. And by the way, to, to your point about Avery Bradley, Carmelo has been an unbelievable story. 16 points a game on great shooting. I just There is just a lot of Carmelo Anthony. Like he's playing a ton of minutes. They're relying on him a lot. He and Austin Reeves have the best plus minus on the entire team which goes to show you how good those sort of uh, those smaller lineups, those sort of hybrid bench starter, smaller lineups have been. I just, I know Carmelo's a great story. He's playing really well in the playoffs. You and I both know what's going to happen if he's on the floor, the other team, if they have an elite ball handler, is going to be like, okay, where's Carmelo bring his man up to set a screen. They're just going to hunt him, hunt him, hunt him. And yeah, maybe the Lakers with LeBron and AD on the back line on those plays, are better built. I mean, AD flying around is a force unlike any other defensively in the NBA are better built to rescue Carmelo in those situations. Maybe they're not, I don't know, but I just watched their games. And I'm like, man, I know all these dudes are hurt. I get it, man. There's just like a lot of these guys who were borderline out of the league a couple of years ago. Then they're like, and then there's Austin Reeves. who Actually, Austin Reeves is pretty good. He's a nice, he's a, he's tough. He passes the ball pretty well. I kind of like him.
1: Yeah. That's what makes it so fascinating to me. Is like, um, there's a Laker, you know, obviously fascination league wide anyway, but do who they have coming back when they get back? Who do they replace? Who do they take minutes from? How does it work? Are we overestimating their impact? Um, you know, I just think, you know, again, I, I think they're a good team. Like, I, 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 I think it's wildly overestimating like their team to say this team right now would be a championship level team. I I just think it's asking too much of too many.
0: Well, I said before the season, my gut said the Lakers are not making the finals this season. And I would take the field in the West over them in a nanosecond. I think the two best teams in the West, if everybody are healthy, are the Clippers and the Nuggets, but they're not healthy and their key players are not healthy, one one on each team. So they're sort of, I don't know if they're parked to the side. I mean, the Nuggets are four and two and holding up all right. But we'll, we'll see The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L O W E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Phoenix is two and three. You know, I watched – I've watched both of their last two games. I just – I'm not – are you worried about – it's too early, right? They haven't – like it's – given what happened to Booker playing in the Olympics, you saw it up close. Then he he was out with health and safety protocols. Chris Paul's aging. They had a long run. Like I'm not – Phoenix to me, they're just so rock solid that I I, I think they'll be fine – they don't look particularly sprightly right now, and like like spirited and spunky and zipping around. But I I I have faith in the Suns. They've earned they've earned enough credibility with me.
1: Yeah, and I think again, every year is different. You know, like people age, people have different mentalities. You have the DeAndre Ayton uh, situation contractually, um, and I, I remember back in. When we went to the finals uh, with the Knicks in 94, the next year, same team, great team, great health. We were 12 and 12, I believe, on Christmas. And it wasn't like there was not one thing you could point to as the issue, but it was an overall, like, malaise a little bit. Like It wasn't even like we weren't trying hard, but like you, you were mentioning, like, it wasn't the same feeling like it was, you know, getting over losing in the finals is, is not easy. Um, it's not easy at all. And I think um, they they have had a lot, they had a lot um, go on in the off season. Um, and I just think it's, it's, it's much harder. You know, everybody just says to bounce back, but when you lose an opportunity, you um, where you felt like you could have won it um, and maybe you should have won it in your mind, it's it's not as easy just to snap your fingers and, and find that level of enthusiasm or energy or all in uh, to the cause again. It may take them a little while. And that's, again, why you let things play out over time. And like, like in 15 or 20 games, everybody will have a better idea and every coach could then evaluate his team. Um, properly and say, you know, this is what needs to be corrected.
0: Yeah, Phoenix and Chris Paul hasn't made shots for, for most games this season. Jay Crowder was ice cold from three until the other night. They've missed campaign a couple games and he kind of jolts their team. I mean, particularly when you're giving his minutes to Alfred Payton, he's, he's a jolt that they really miss. The Torrey Craig piece was an interesting mini loss for them. I, I actually feel that void when I watch them play like that void of just another wing to come in and create havoc on the on the offensive guys. A great offensive rebounder defend well. I think they'll be fine. You open the door for me, coach. Are you ready? You mentioned you brought up the mid-90s Knicks. You opened the door for me. I'm going to tease Chris Herring's book, Blood in the Garden, about the 1990s Knicks. And there was one, I when I was going to have you on in February or something to talk about everything in this book, there was one anecdote in the book that involves you, you're a central character in the book, that I, I literally read and laughed in my house by myself. I cackled out loud like an idiot and was like, I have to ask Jeff Van Gundy about this anecdote when I get him on the podcast. So are you ready? Yeah. The year is 2000. The year 2000. I feel like I'm Conan O'Brien. In the year 2000... Uh, you have an assistant trainer on your team. I, his first name is not on this page. I don't know his first name. His last name is Hamden. Do you remember? Or Hamden. Or do you... Yeah, Saeed. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's the story he tells about you. And as a lifelong Mets fan, diehard Mets fan, not anymore, I'm lapsed. This story both made me laugh really hard and hit me like a little bit of a knife to the gut. The story, the background of the story is how much you care about winning and losing and how you want others around you to feel it in the wake of a loss as deeply as you feel it, okay? So you are, the story, I'll just read you the the quote. This is is Saeed Hamdan talking. We were on a flight coming back from a preseason win, and I got in trouble for yelling, yes, let's go Mets, after they clinched the spot in the World Series in 2000. The next day, Jeff calls me into his office and says, I need to have more respect for the sanctity of winning and losing. And I told him, Jeff, the sanctity of winning and losing is why. I yelled, let's go Mets. They just made the World Series. And he just looks at me and says, get the f- out of my office. True or false? I have no
1: n- knowledge or memory of that. If that actually happened. <laughs> Being he, a got, fan, he clearly he clearly does. Yeah, or he made it up. Um, because here's the thing. I really, like, I could see that in a playoff game. I'm not sure, sure I could see that in a... Uh,
0: preseason it says in a
1: preseason game and the what makes me question that story even more is I was a Mets fan so I would have probably been all in on the Mets at that time anyway I love Bobby Valentine um I love the
0: Mets so currently running for mayor of Stanford Connecticut by the way Bobby Valentine. yeah
1: I know you know what I just saw him at an event a 9-11 event I was in the city for we were on the same panel and I'm going to tell you what that guy looks I don't even know how old he is, but I would say he's gotta be seventy.
0: He's he's and, old. He was like a fifties high school baseball star in Connecticut. Okay.
1: Th- he looks fantastic. And he was all in I mean like like yeah you know back again like what he did in nine eleven back in, you know, like he, he was incredible. Like anyway, that just another antidote. But so I, I'm not buying that. I'm I'm buying that. I'm I'm saying I think your guy, Chris, uh, who wrote the book, was told a a fib by Saeed. But that's okay. Everybody can fib. And everybody has a different recollection.
0: He would be more likely to remember it than you, I think, because maybe not as a Mets fan. I didn't know you were a Mets fan. The 2000 World Series was both a high point and a low point of my sports fandom. Anyway, let's flip to uh, there were a couple other teams I wanted to talk about. Uh, and you already hinted at one, which is I wanted to talk about the flip side of the Russell, Russell Westbrook trade. And that's the Washington Wizards, who are 5 and 2 off a. Of, 5 and 1. I've misspoke. Excuse me, Washington Wizards. 5 and 1 off a of stirring double overtime, unlikely come from behind in both overtimes win over the Boston Celtics. Um, the Wiz are 13th in offense, a stout 9th in defense, plus 3.6 per 100 possessions. Their wins are actually like. Toronto, solid win. Indiana, they're really kind of struggling, but still, you know, you got got to beat Indiana. They have talent. Boston twice blew Atlanta out. They play the Hawks again tonight. Like those are real wins. They're not elite team wins, but they're real. They're not. They're not Orlando, Houston, Oklahoma City wins. They're real wins. Uh, Beal has missed a game. Dinwiddie's missed a game. Uh, their center rotation is a mess because both Thomas Bryant and now Daniel Gafford are injured. And, and yet here they come. What have you... What has stuck out to you about... I mean, the Wiz... Talk about a fan base that is starved for just some nice, stable basketball and also a team that every year seems to be like 2-8. and eight. Like the season just seems to be over 15 games into the season. How refreshing that they're 5-1. and one. What have you seen from the fight in Wiz?
1: Well, and you didn't... I don't know if you mentioned Hachimura hasn't played. Hasn't played, that's right. Right? And so, again... Tommy Shepard, the general manager, he flipped Wall for Westbrook and then he flipped Westbrook for depth. And like Raul Nato's played well. Caldwell Pope, you, you know what he does. Like he's going to play with energy. He's going to shoot the three. He's going to defend harder. Montrez Harrell has been terrific in a more prominent role.
0: Sensational. And,
1: yeah. And so, like, right now, like you have to say, Tommy Shepard, what what he was able to accomplish in the last two years, uh, and, and it just shows you, and, and Beal hasn't even played particularly well. No. Like
0: He finally you know, started getting off the last couple games. Yeah,
1: I mean, but he hasn't been like anything like and, – and that they beat Boston back-to-back. You know, when you go to Boston and you win, and they played an outstanding game, and then you come back, and like Boston, you know, could probably should have put you away, but you find a way to hang in there and get it to double overtime and find a way to win. Like it's a different level of like grit. They have a different level of depth, um, and like you said, it's fun. To, it's fun when a team who has for so long been stuck in you know, like mediocrity to pretty good when they've been you know stuck there to see them sort of change it around and have success and not bottom out like a lot of these teams do
0: it's fun it's refreshing yeah they traded Russell Westbrook for basically an entire functioning basketball team Dinwiddie was in that trade indirectly I mean not indirectly he's part of it's a five team trade he's part of the trade Kuzma Kuzma's, Kuzma's averaging 12 rebounds a game as they're starting for. Kyle Kuzma, you know, I poked fun at him a little bit, or I poked fun at the the building up of him as the third star in the Lakers' big three, which I thought was ridiculous and still do and would not have happened to a player on any team but the Lakers to be built up that way. But he's made himself just a good, solid, all-around basketball player who does a lot of the little things and the dirty work that help you win. They got a first-round pick in that draft that they turned into Aaron Holiday and a second-round pick. They got Caldwell-Pope. They just got a whole team in that trade. And Harrell was in that trade. And Harrell is one of the great regular season innings eaters of the NBA. Just puts, just brings energy every game. If you don't want to play hard or you're just kind of like a little soft at night, he's going to put up 25 and 12 and scream in your face and get the whole crowd riled up. Playoffs, different story. Tough going for him as a center in the playoffs in the wrong matchup. Regular season. And he's he's carrying them out because when they they have no other center but him. So when he rests, they're playing like Kuzma at center or Pooh, pick whoever of their tweener forwards you classify as the center. Beal hasn't played that well. Dinwiddie hasn't played that well other than shooting the three pretty well. They're getting killed in the minutes that Dinwiddie plays without Beale. Um, and they just start – they're just winning with this good – Wes Sunsell Jr., who came from Denver with the reputation of the coach – uh, with the reputation of a coach as the guy who – the defense guy for the Nuggets. They're just playing – I mentioned their ninth in defense. They're not they're, – they're giving up the fewest threes in the league, tons of mid-range jumpers. They're getting – they're second or third in defensive rebounds, I think. They're just – they're just – you, you go play them, they're giving you nothing. You've got to earn everything on both ends of the floor. And, and I think they're outperforming their talent at 5-1. and one. Things will get a little rougher for them. But they look like a, a solid team. And, and they look like, frankly, a team that's going to be better than I thought they would be. I think it, they look they look really good so far. Well, I like,
1: too, I, I think, you know, Dinwiddie coming off injury. But the size factor. When you have big guards, um, it just... It makes a difference. I, I, I watch Charlotte play, right, and, and all of their size and length um, on the perimeter. I think it has an impact. And so um, I think Washington, what they've done is, that, again, the trade, the, like maybe it's a win-win for both teams, but it certainly was a win uh, for the Wizards. And uh, they've got depth. And they play some defense and they've got hope. And if either Hachimura, and I can't say the other uh, guy's name correctly, Den- oh, Denny Avdia, Avdia, right? Like if either one of them gets better, because Berton's is Berton's. You know, he, he, he was a mistake as far as not his skill, but how much you invested in him, right? But, you know, they have a lot of those guys. And if one of those, you know, if either Hachimura, um, can come back and provide, you know, good, solid play, you know, their size, Beal's really goodness, you know, like, and they play, continue to play defense, it'll be a good story.
0: Yeah, Hachimura last year, 14 points a game, 52% on twos, just 33% on threes, which is better than he was as a rookie. I, I like him. I think he's a good player. He's He's obviously got some limitations like any young player, I think he's a good, smart, all-around player who has a, does a lot of things pretty well. And and I like what you just said about size because, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as anyone, when you see Hachimura, Avdia, Bertans, Kuzma, there's a tendency, and and I've said it to others, well, they're all power forwards, they're all fours, like the Wizards have too many fours. There's, the, two of them are going to play a ton together, and maybe that's okay, particularly if a couple of them, like Kuzma's guarded one to four his entire career basically and done okay at it maybe maybe we need to flip that discussion from us so it's roster replication they have too many floors so like they got a lot of big guys who are who have a lot of different skills like maybe that's a good thing I mean Bertanza is like one skill but it's an A++ plus plus skill um, maybe maybe that's a good thing but you know your point is interesting they have hope they do have hope the Westbrook trade was indisputably a win to turn Russell Westbrook into all that stuff is indisputably a win the hope thing is interesting because i look at this team okay where where this is nice let's say they win 45 games this year great success story Beale signs his extension that'd be amazing for them drama's over they have this guy for the prime of his career where are they going from here how do they become a better team a 50 win team that seems like a bridge pretty far maybe it's you know one of those young guys really has to hit because I'm not sure. I look at their roster. And I'm like, well, they have the ammo to make the next big trade. Like, I don't think any of those guys right now are incredible trade assets. I think they're net neutral in picks. So I don't know where the whole where where this goes from here. But it's it's Tommy Shepard's job to be thinking about that question, right? Like that that's his job. I think it's completely fine for for even the team and fans. Just be, you know what? I don't really care where we go from here. Like, let's just enjoy here for a minute. This is a lot what? of fun.
1: Well, I agree with that, but I do think it's it it it's similar to Charlotte, right? Like they too had a roster full of no hope. And remember when Terry Rozier signed, they were, oh, they're overpaying. No, actually they got better.
0: Well, they like, they, they got have, a good they, player. They, they, they uh, may and have and just then overpaid him now, but that's right.
1: right. And then they had, you know, Hayward. Oh, they overpaid him. Oh no, yeah, maybe in your mind, but they got better. Then they hit on two you know, two draft picks in bridges and ball, right? So, like, it may not be right away, but this idea that you go from awful to really good too, that, that's tough too. It's like, you know, is there a guarantee that either Oklahoma City or Houston or Orlando, um, you know, is going to hit and, 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 you know, find their way? And I think sometimes we judge those people uh, or those teams much easier than we judge the people who try to actually give their fans, um, you know, like Washington is this year, like a good year where you can enjoy it and your money is well spent and you have a team that's playing hard. I, I, I think it's, I think it's very interesting when you watch different teams go about it in different ways. Um, but I think Tommy Shepard, and the wizard should be applauded. Uh, and and you're right. There's no definitive path from. Like I think there'll be more in the 500 range this year.
0: I think that's I think that's fair. I was be, 45 wins is my way of being happy. I'm in a good mood. Let me let me be right. happy.
1: So like like 45 is is like that's a hell of a that's pretty good. Um, 45 and 37.
0: Say, it's it's not easy to win 45 games you know, in the NBA.
1: Let's just say they did that right. I don't know what would be next, and they could easily fall back. Um, but like you said, sometimes you just got to enjoy like being good because good is hard. You know, everybody says championship or bust. I couldn't disagree more with that mentality. Like keep trying to be good, good and figure out a way or a path, um, for the next step. But there's no guarantee whether you, whether you bottom out, I mean, you know, Think about Philly, right? They bottomed out. How many series has Joel Embiid won in his, What have they won? I don't know. Like,
0: well, I can tell you they've won zeros. They've won zero second round series. They've won some okay. first round series, zero so second maybe round series. Two or
1: three. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying it, it is hard. It is hard. No matter how, whatever your plan is, it's hard to get into the upper echelon. And you, you know, Beal would be their guy right now. Um, but they're going to obviously need to add, add another uh, great player to have a chance.
0: Yeah. The the difference between them and Charlotte to me is in bridges, they have a very good young player. Who's clearly reached a level where like, okay, this guy, we've got to nudge his ceiling up to something we didn't think it was. And in LaMelo, a potential superstar. Now his play has been uneven in the last 10 days, but like, that's going to happen. The guy's 20 years old or whatever he is. It looks like, He's got superstar written all over him. Washington doesn't have any young players at that level. By the way, I'm glad you mentioned Hayward. I looked up Hayward's numbers for the season today. It seems like he's averaging like 11 points a game. He's just every year like clockwork, the quietest 18, 5, and 5 on good shooting. Like he's not doing Utah Hayward where it's like 22 or whatever it is anymore. 18, 5, and 5 or 18, 6, and 6 with good shooting and good defense at position of most need in the NBA, a guy who can guard threes and fours. Like the guy's just a really good player. Like everyone, the overpaid over, like it's just quiet as a mouse, 18, five and five. Everybody would love to have that guy on their team. See,
1: I think the the media and the fans think he averages 11. And I think coaches think he's averaging 24 because I think coaches are always going to value guys like him who are, you know, he's a good playmaker. He's got, he's like you mentioned, big size, like in guard, different guys. Like you switch a pick and roll. They run a little, you know, like a little pistol action. They switch, they throw it back to the top. They post him, right. He can score that way. Um, But it's the, it's the versatility and the willingness and ability to play with other good players. Um, He's not in a fight with, uh, with ball about the basketball. He's, he's more than capable of figuring out how to fit in and to some his salary offends. to others. And I give Mitch Kupchak, uh, so much credit for the, like they had, they were mismanaged for maybe ever. Okay. And he has done a very good job in building that roster. I mean, they're going to have Kelly Oubre coming off the bench. And like, you look at their, their talent, like their wing talent, I mean, they're big and they're hitting on their draft choices. Like they've got versatility. Now, will they guard enough? That's their question. But their ability to score, they're legit. I
0: was, I was higher than most on the Hornets going into the season. I, I didn't, they might even be better than I thought. But I, I, I thought they were in a tier with like the Knicks and the Bulls and like the six to nine range in the East. Um, well, they're more talented than both the teams that you just mentioned. Like that's a bold statement. They're more talented. I, I,
1: I think they. I, you just look at their. The Bulls, up.
0: the Bulls, DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic—those guys have all made All-Star games.
1: Yeah, but the depth of talent. Like you think about it, with Pat Patrick Williams out now, they're starting Green at the power forward one of
0: 17 jay greens in the nba we got to get this box score thing figured out i can't look at a denver box score and not know which freaking jay green you're talking about
1: i agree with that that's like it drives me insane there should be only one color uh, color allowed like one brown one green (laughs) one black like on each team, it's impossible or spell out their first names in the box score. Just J.A. Green and J.E. Green. That gets right. it done. But going J or make one take on an E at the end of their name. <laughs> no, it, it's only it's only right. It's only right for people that follow it. I, I, I don't want to have to explore every time I look at a Denver box score. Click on which guy I don't No. I want to know.
0: Yeah. Well, you can scroll right over the name, and in the bottom, you'll see a little, it'll come up. You can I, see, I don't you don't to have do. to click.
1: I don't know how to do that. I just, I want the league to take care of this for me. Like, <laughs> your I don't point was
0: to- about, your point was, Javante Green as your starting power forward is probably well, not ideal.
1: Well, and, and, I mean, like, you look at their depth, their, their depth is like, You know, when Levine hurt his thumb and, and, you know, was contemplating to play or not, like, you look at their team and, like, they can't lose either guy. Like, DeRozan or Levine. Now, Caruso has been a home run. He's played terrific. Um, uh, Ball's been okay. You know, like, again, they have good size on the perimeter too. Like, they may not all be great individual defenders, but they got legit size. all the all their perimeter players. So I, I still think Charlotte, I'm not saying they'll be as good record-wise, but their talent
0: I think is is every bit what the Knicks and the Bulls have. Well depth was my main concern in in being I think I was like lukewarm ish on the Bulls, like mid mid consensus on the Bulls, but depth was an obvious concern. Interestingly, I thought it was very surprising that it only took until this week. It took that it took, rather, until this weekend for. I, I just assume Derek Jones Jr. and Tony Bradley will be there four or five off the bench, and they weren't to start the season. I think those two guys are perfectly serviceable reserves. So maybe that will help. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch, hit strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 directv tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com, or just stop by. Coach Jeff Van Gundy, who has the best point differential in the NBA through the first two weeks of the season? Utah? Nope. Utah's number two, four points behind this team.
1: Four points per game.
0: The Miami Heat are 5-1. and They are fourth in offense after a nice weekend for them. First in defense by a a hilarious margin. Outscoring teams by 16.5 points per 100 possessions. They have beaten Milwaukee, although Milwaukee, again, didn't have half their team. Orlando and Brooklyn, good win. Charlotte, good win. Memphis, I know you've really enjoyed Memphis. That's a good win. Their schedule coming up is Dallas, Boston, Utah, Denver, Lakers, Clippers, Utah. So Miami is going to be must-see TV for the next two weeks. Their starting five is outscored opponents by 13 points per 100 possessions. Their defense is as hellacious and impenetrable as advertised. Bam out of bio. 21-14 21-14 and only 1.6 assists because Kyle Lowry is here. Jimmy Butler 25-7-6, just killing teams. Uh, are they are they even better than we thought, Coach? I mean, I was I was high on Miami as a playoff team and worried about them as a regular season. My my stance on Miami was their depth concerns me, their age concerns me. I love them as a playoff team. All they have to do is not get into the play-in, and that should be a, a satisfying regular season. To me. Um, they're one injury away from being worried. Tyler Hero has been as every bit as lights out as the Heat kind of said that he would be going into this season, six man of the year front runner. Do we even need to upgrade the Heat to legit finals threat at this point?
1: Uh it's interesting. You know, Butler's missed a lot of games over the past couple years. So uh I think, you know, like you said, they're they're vulnerable, but they just won in Memphis. And Adebayo didn't play,
0: and by a million points,
1: right? And which brings me to a question: I, like, I, I've never like, d- does Memphis have enough like talent around Morant? And you know, Dylan Brooks is hurt. They made a, a very interesting—I I don't use interesting in a good way—in this one. Adams for Valanciunas. I thought Valanciunas was a, a was a was a very good player for them. I thought it was a great move for New Orleans. Well not that so move much, that yeah. move
0: was more to move up in the draft to get an extra first round pick and not extend Valentunas, which the Pelicans did. That 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 move and yeah. also and to your point about talent around Morant, that move was also about let's flip one center who takes a lot of shots and efficiently, by the way, Jonas Valančiūnas is a good offensive player, really good. And and flip him for a center who maybe is a little better defensively, doesn't take any shots at all because we want Jaron Jackson Jr to take a ton of shots. And Jonathan Sharks wrote about this today in The Ringer. I mentioned it last week. To me, the story of their—not the story, but other than Morant just destroying everything in sight, we're kind of—and again, it's seven games coming off an injury—basically uh, a lost year to injury. We're kind of still waiting on Jaron Jackson Jr. Twelve points a game, shooting horribly from everywhere. You get, you get the flashes, right? You get the flashes. What is he on defense? Is he a switching center? Is he a drop center? How much center is he actually going to play this season? They keep saying they wanted to play more center, but is that viable defensively? That that's that. I know you have thoughts on Memphis. To me, that, that Jaron Jackson is is one of the players I'm watching most closely in the whole league.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. Again, I I, I just don't. I didn't understand messing with a, a good formula. I thought Valanciunas and Morant, uh, it was a good combination. I, I like you know. Obviously, Brooks has been hurt so that's a that's a big factor uh, but to me Morant like he is so good now um i remember the first game uh mark jackson and i did with the zion williamson uh, he came back against san antonio um his rookie year i think it was mid january we did the game and mark jackson said on air so it's indisputable and it sort of caught me off guard he said if I had the pick I would have definitely taken Morant first. And I'm and I looked at him like and off air I said, "Really?" And he goes, "Without question, this guy is a star star at the most important position." And like he has like that has proven to be like I don't know about who you drafted, but this guy Morant is an absolute star. Like but again, the, do they have like I didn't understand. I know it, it was probably financial, but tra- giving Grayson Allen away, I, again, I, I just think they're not nearly as talented as they were last year. So while I love watching Morant play, I think so much more is on his shoulders, which could lead to more MVP consideration for him uh, if he continues on. But I don't know where it necessarily leads. And I think you're right, Jaron Jackson – because they've had such a, um, they've given away a lot of offensive talent, he's going to have to fill the hole and be an every night producer offensively. Um, because it can't just be Morant or when Brooks gets back, Brooks, you know, like he's going to, there's going to have to be somebody else that consistently can get you 18, 19, 20 a game.
0: I think he gets there by the end of the year. His challenge is in the starting lineup, he's the stretch four. So he's this is the challenge that John Collins and a lot of other stretch tweener bigs have had to navigate is, okay, all of a sudden, I'm not the pick and roll guy. I'm a, I'm off to the side. Well, how do I still impact the game other than like I stand here and people guard me? That's good for the offense, but I'm, I'm just standing here. I'm not necessarily getting points that way. And John Collins just became a really good three-point shooter. Jaron Jackson already is. Got better off the dribble. Jaron Jackson's getting there. He's a little mechanical, but he's pretty good with both hands. Not as good a passer as he needs to be, but he'll get there. And just start, kind of like fill in the cracks. And then when you get to play the five, that's when you get to go bananas. Dive to the rim for dunks. Pick and pop for threes. Move the ball. The question, again, is defensively what is he at, at the five? How do they play? What's best for him? But Morant, there is no string of superlatives you can say about Morant that is that would be overboard to me. Sometimes you just know... Some some people just have it. And it, in this case, is not just the talent, which is anybody can see that. It's the feel for the game. It's the ability to for a player that fast to slow down the way he does, both in transition where he knows where his trailers are going to be and in the pick and roll where he's kind of prodding like Chris Paul almost, you know, slowing down, getting a guy on his back. And just, you, you know when you see it. When a guy has the kind of spirit that makes everyone on his team think, Yeah, we can win the game. Like I want to play with this guy. I want to play for this guy. I want to play with this guy. He's got it. And he's had it from the day he stepped in the league.
1: Yeah. I think that problem you were talking about, just going back to Jaron Jackson, it's the Chris Stapps Porzingis issue too. Like Perfect. Do you do you feel involved? Do you like there's huge sacrifice? to and and not everybody you know everybody says we i want to win but the dot 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 after that is if i get my own way and it is hard to be a highly paid player and i think jaron jackson just got a a huge
0: uh extension right um four four years 105 million i think
1: okay that's huge and and then like be a complimentary player um and, and having your role fluctuate depending on um, the game or in the playoffs, the playoff series, especially when you're playing with a transcendent star. Like you mentioned it, Trey Young with John Collins, um, Porzingis with Doncic, and now Morant with Jaron Jackson. That's not easy if you're that complimentary player, even though you're getting huge money. Um, and it, it's just, it's not easy like, to play that way. So uh, I agree with you. Morant is, uh, I just love watching him play. I love who he seems to be out on the floor and quietly. And I know people within the league understand this, but I'm not sure the name Taylor Jenkins is as on the lips of fans like it should be because that guy is one hell of a basketball coach.
0: It'll get there. and But some of this is just being a big man, right? Like you don't run the pick and roll. You don't bring the ball up. The ball has to get to you. And sometimes if you play with a great guard and a great wing, it just doesn't get to you. And I think a team we're not going to talk about. But something I just monitor all the time is like, why is Carl anthony Towns third on the Timberwolves in field goal attempts? Like, And this has been a problem for five years, he just doesn't shoot enough. He doesn't get enough shots. Like, there's just no universe in which he should be third on his team and shot. Now, it's close between him and D'Angelo Russell for second, but it just shouldn't be. We have to talk about the Heat. We got sidetracked. The Heat okay. are destroying everybody. What have you noticed about the Heat?
1: Well, like you, I think uh, I'm, I'm interested in their depth, uh, how they handle injury. But, like, we are talking about Bam Adebayo, like, him missing that game and them still blowing out Memphis. Um, uh, is is really good. Duncan Robinson hasn't even shot the ball uh, particularly well yet this year. Um, I, I just think they play smart, sound, tough basketball. And Lowry, when I was watching him against the uh, the Nets, he had to throw the ball ahead for either scores or fouls, like three or four times in the first half. And just that awareness, alertness. And again, his numbers even aren't startling right now. They're not. He's averaging eight points a game. But I love, like, he stepped in front of Kevin Durant. He took a charge. Like, again, to me, those plays go down in the box score as one turnover, but they're galvanizing plays. And I think when you're on a team or coaching a team, you understand, like, how those type of plays and the type of plays that Kyle Lowry make, even though. Hey, he probably emotionally gets a little, like, whacked out of his mind sometimes. But that's what great competitors do. Like, tell me a great competitor that's not a little wacky. Like, like, and Jimmy Butler is another example. He, he can be a little wacky, right? He's so but, good,
0: man. He's just, I, but, still, I still think he's, he's almost so a little popular. bit un- underappreciated. He is so good.
1: Well, because of the three and how everybody... Thinks you have to play, everybody's got to play similarly to play well, you know, and that's why you have to be cognizant of stats. But at the same time, you know, tailor that, which I think Eric always does so very well to the strengths of his players. Um, and they have multiple ball handlers, heroes playing great.
0: And, and again,
1: that they were able to go to Memphis and blow them out without autobio. Uh, you know, I mean, Marquise Morris has played w- pretty well for them. And, you know, like th- that's also another guy that's not a young dude. So I-, I-, I have a lot of appreciation for how well they've started this year.
0: <laughs> to your point about Lowry, I-, I watch Miami and I'm like, it's almost like he's competing with himself to just be like, how how much how fast can I make this slow team play just by myself? Just throwing Alibet. The, they're averaging a 105, 105 possessions per forty eight minutes with Lowry on the floor, which would be the fastest pace in the league, and ninety seven with Lowry on the bench, which would be like the slowest pace in the league. Um, and defensively, I, I mean, Lowry, Tucker, Butler, Bam. I mean, forget about it. It's as good defensively as advertised. They can play any kind of way you want. They can switch everything. And unless you're like Joel Embiid-level post-up player, Godspeed to any big man who tries to take Kyle Lowry on a switch in the post because he will just stand you up and take the ball from you and laugh at you while he's doing it. Robinson and Hero are obviously the weak links in in those sort of five-man lineups. But when you have those four guys covering – for you, it's it's not that bad to be a quote unquote weak link. I do get worried when they have any two of Hero, Duncan Robinson, and Max Struess on the floor. Uh, Max Struess has been all right; he's been shooting shooting pretty well. I think he's a pretty good player, but I, just defensively, if those guys are healthy, they're going to be a bear to score on. It's just the offense is the question to me. They're they're not taking a lot of threes and they're not getting to the rim a lot, but they're getting to the line in bunches. They're third in offensive rebounding and. They just have so much IQ and passing and toughness in the half court on this team that they're finding a way to score enough points. I mean, if they're they're fourth in offense, if they're, if they're top 10 in offense, they are going to be a championship contender, period.
1: Yeah, and I think the way the game is officiated this year, which um, I'm all for. I think the NBA has done some great, great things in that regard. It, it plays to their strength, like how strong they are. Like a little bit more is let go. Like you can't like – You know, I think with Lowry, Butler, P.J. Tucker and uh, Adebayo, I think it's been I I think everything has fallen into line. And again, can they sustain? Can they stay healthy? Uh, But you're right. If you're hey listen, if you're top 10 in offense with what they should be defensively, they got a heck of a chance uh, to play from a high seed this year.
0: I will cede the floor to you now. You brought up officiating. You and I have been, you're the driver of the eliminate the take foul, the Euro foul, whatever garbage you want to call that foul, um, the clothesline bear hug in transition. You've been driving the bandwagon. I've been riding shotgun with you for five to 10 years now to the point that I'm tired of talking about it. It's just unfathomable to me that the league, even having created a rule in the G League, like the NBA owns the G League and they made a rule to try and stop this that they have not tried harder to stop it in the NBA. It drives me bananas. I feel like it's just falling on deaf ears. They clearly don't care enough to do anything about it. Um, you now, uh, you've, you've complained about it a lot. You're absolutely right. The world agrees with you. Basketball is good. Bear hugs are bad. But now you have a specific proposal that you want to put forth to the world. Please, Jeff Van Gundy, speak on it. So what I hate
1: is that it's called the Eurofoul because it's not, because they've eliminated it in Europe. FIBA basketball, it's two in the ball, right? So I watched John Moran against Golden State the other night, and Draymond Green basically tackled it at half court. And everybody wants more action, and there's never more action in an NBA game than in transition. So we should all be putting our heads together to try to give our players the best chance to create action. Like I said, the NBA – the way they've uh, like they've eliminated all the BS foul calls, uh, I I couldn't be happier. I think it's a better game. It's a better product to watch, but they're they they can not stop now. They have to address this. I watched a Boston, I think it was Boston, um, Charlotte game, and there were six called in a relatively take fouls in a relatively short period of time. Sometimes teams will even take them in the penalty, like they'll just. Because players instinctively just do it. So, my rule is you have a separate penalty situation, but it could be you can set the number. It could be the first time you do it, the second time, the third time, whatever you decide number wise is fair. But if a foul occurs with 20 or more on the shot clock, that leads to two in the ball eventually, whatever you set the number at, after the second time you do that or the third time or the first time. I don't care. You could do it all the time. But obviously, you don't want that in the last two minutes of the game because when you're coming back on a rebound, you're know you going to foul right away to save time. So in the first 46 minutes, um, you have that. I I think it's imperative you do it not by if you're in transition or not. Um, You do it because fouling should be punished. Fouling is not something that should be applauded. How about this? Run back and stop them in transition. You watch these fouls. It used to be a minor problem that used to just drive me crazy. Now it's taking away action from our fans. And as much credit as the NBA deserves right now for the new fouling interpretations that they've put in um, that are being universally... um, praised except if you're one of those guys who used to make like um, a mockery of the game, they need to be held to account. I don't know what the rule is in the G league, but just make a first step. It doesn't have to be perfect. All we have to do is everybody acknowledge we are going to eliminate. I have no problem too with leaving it up to the referee's discretion. If you don't like mine, that's their their job. That's what they should have discretion. They'll say that we want to take decision making out of the referee's hands. And that to me is ludicrous because that's like saying, I want to take decision making out of a point guard's hands. These guys are paid a lot of money. You know, when a foul um, is a take foul, even if it's disguised, like it's got to be punished and punished harshly. And I think the radical step of doing it immediately the competition committee should meet tonight, institute it, put it in tomorrow will there be growing pains yes who cares do it now don't wait you don't have to study it anymore it's a it's an absolute like i don't know what the r- right word is but it's a such a negative a to sham
0: mockery a sham mockery okay. you have to combine two words it's that good
1: bad. i'm going with that then um i, I just think and, and and also the secondary thing which you don't see as much anymore but is the hack of whoever foul, if you institute something like that, because those always take place in the first four or five seconds too, it, it's a byproduct. Uh, it's another reason to institute. So uh, the, re- the thing I don't like that anytime I talk to somebody in the league, well, we got to study it more. Actually, no, you don't. You need to act. And then tinker with it. It's not going to be perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect. This it just has to be a step in the right direction.
0: It's this isn't like viral research in a chemistry lab where we're doing trial and error studies on this. Just make just I'm done. Just change the rule. Uh, but let's let's conclude. I, I'm I'm so disappointed. Are you telling me going back to the beginning? There was never a coordinated Jeff and Stan Van Gundy Halloween costume when you were kids. There was never like he was whoever and you were whoever. Never. Not once.
1: I'd hate to think there was. I would call that uh... I'd be very disappointed in my parents if there were. But remember back then, though, that's in the 60s. Not everything had to be – it wasn't had to be take a picture so you could show your friends that you parent better than they do, right? So it's just you know, – first of all, your parents didn't even go out with you trick-or-treating. Like like when you were five, they sent you out. Yeah, that's it. Walk five around. years
0: old, you're on your own. Come back you're when you're your done.
1: Own. Yeah, come wow. back. And, and, and that's when the only thing that – that my mom checked for was razor blades in the apples. Like, if you remember, like, I don't know if that was like no, when I was
0: a kid, that was like an urban legend. That that's a thing that happened. Like, yeah. I don't I now I need to go research like the origin of who would do such a thing. Why was it a was why was it a, a plague Windhorse. on society? So Brian Windhorse types back in the
1: 60s who hated <laughs> Halloween so much would do that. Like those are the people you had to be like careful of, right? Yeah, but you and also you didn't get three or four pieces of candy back then. There were no big chocolate bars. It was like you got whatever was left over from last Halloween and it was always small. And yeah, I mean, that's just how it was just different. But thank goodness there was never a Jeff and Stan, you know cowboy and robber type of coordinator like I'm
0: thinking like red Hol- red holtzman and and you know Bill Bradley or something like that you know what's crazy we grew up on the
1: west coast right right outside of Oakland and uh in in Martinez uh California so we were big you know warrior fans A's fans back in the heyday but here's the, it's just so different now because everything's a picture now right it's, it is it's and I love watching them like You know, I'll, I'll see pictures of like, but there were no pictures back then. So you were dressing up just for not even because you enjoyed it. You just knew you had to have it to go out and people giving you candy. It was, it was a straight, you know, I want candy. I have to dress up here. Let's do it. Quid pro quo.
0: We all understand what's going on. Last thing. And you can take it if you want. Otherwise I'll let you go. I'm not a big baseball fan anymore, but I've been having the world series on in the background when I don't feel like watching NBA games. I will give it to you. Convince me neutral ish baseball fan who hasn't really paid attention and only knows like the very broadest strokes of whatever is going on. Why I should not be cheering against the Astros as garbage cans, slamming cheaters. Jeff Van Gundy, defend your team. Well, first of all, I can't defend what they did. Like, I don't even
1: want to, it was disgraceful and unnecessary because they were great before they did it. And they've been great after they've done it. They, they didn't need it. So that was a terrible lapse in, in judgment. But that being said, I'm still wearing my great t-shirt that says y'all still mad. Like for those whiny Dodger fans complaining about the, the championship with that was stolen from him. No, it wasn't. We beat your ass. Okay. That's that. Okay. Now, can they beat Atlanta? I don't know. Down 3 2, you know, Verlander out the whole year. Um, you know, McCullough's out now. We don't have our top two starters. Um, but I'll say this regardless of who wins, we either have a 72 year old manager who I love and Dusty Baker. Getting his first World Series win, or a man who manages um, the Braves with, like, who's been in that same organization for 45 years. Now, we may be cheaters, but I, I gotta say this until I hear somebody come out and say that that stupid chop that they do in, in, a, in a position of power needs to be eliminated as fast as the uh, take foul that we were talking about, then I say the Astros have the advantage and they're going to figure out a way to win it. Dusty Baker and the guys, man, it's going to be fun to watch game six.
0: Jeff Van Gundy, nobody does it better than you. Thanks for your time. Your analysis is as good as it gets. I'll see you down the road soon, my friend.
1: All right, take care. Take care.